everyone. This is Solom Literary Press. I'm your host, Riley Bounds, and this is a Solom podcast where we discuss and examine the intersection of the modern renaissances in evangelical literature, philosophy, and spiritual formation. Today I'm excited to have Matt Andrews on the podcast. Matthew J. Andrews is a private investigator and writer who lives in Modesto, California. In addition to Solon Literary Journal, his poetry has appeared or is forthcoming in Eco Theo, Orange Blossom Review, Sojourners, Amethyst Review, and St. Catherine Review, among others. His debut chapbook, I Close My Eyes When I Almost Remember, is forthcoming from Finishing Line Press. He can be contacted at matthewjandrews.com. I'm also excited to say Matt's joining Solom as associate poetry editor. I'm grateful to have him on. More information will be provided in the show notes, including a link to his contributor page on the Solom website if you want to find out more. So Matt, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Riley, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. So um, you're a private investigator. Uh, so tell me about life as a PI. Uh, is it exciting? You know, uh, did you want to pursue that career from childhood or was it kind of a later thing in life? How did it come about? I mean, it's definitely full of uh, intrigue and high speed chases and, and things. Not really. No, it's a um, it is a it's a very it is a very interesting job. It's a it's not quite what, you know, people have a lot of misconceptions about it. And, and really, it's probably more of a of a job. Then it's like a job, like every other job. Uh, but it's uh, it, it is very interesting. Uh, no day is the same. Uh, there's just such a variety of things um, that I work on. Um, as far as did I did I mean to do this? Not really. Um, I growing up, I wanted to be a writer, um, and originally I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, and then when I graduated uh, college, it was right in the midst of the Great Recession, and so uh, there were no journalism jobs to be had. And then uh, I, I was introduced via, I used to do uh, trivia. I used to do trivia at a Irish pub in town. And uh, I had a friend there who worked for a private investigation company doing detailed interviews for litigation and insurance claims. And so I just uh, got a job doing that, which seemed to be a good transfer of that skill set. And then uh, I was, uh, gosh, that was 13 years ago, I think. And uh, now I'm, I'm still doing it. So didn't mean to end up here. And I'm kind of an outlier too, because most, um, most PIs do fit the stereotype. They're retired cops with mustaches. And, and uh, um, I, I was not law enforcement in any way. And I'm quite a bit younger, I think, than most people in the industry. Um, so it's a very odd place for me to land, but, but here I am. So how did you find yourself uh, like in the Christian literary scene? Uh, I, I remember you said that you originally wanted to be a writer. So um do you think that uh, like there was a lot of crossover, you know, as you were becoming a PI um, with your writerly instincts, you know, did you, do you think that that affected it at all? Um, and along with that, you know, do you think that your PI work just kind of affects your writing style or vice versa? So um, I, I guess I, I joined the, the literary Christian scene out of necessity for myself, maybe. Um, I, I took a very, very long break from uh, creative writing. Uh, I did it a lot growing up, um, had some ambitions, and then I just 
kind of put them on hold as life sometimes makes you do. Uh, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until um, this was a couple of years ago that I, I felt like there was a real, um, a real need for that again, like a real need to, to do more than, than fulfill obligations in life, you know, uh, to, to find something creative to do. And even uh, growing up, I hadn't, um, hadn't done a lot with poetry. Uh, so it was just kind of started as an, as an experiment for myself, uh, thinking if I just did this as a form of, I don't know, maybe as a form of journaling or a form of like a, like a kind of spiritual discipline in a way. Um, and then it just grew to be something I loved that, that I felt like did a lot for me personally. Um, and, uh, just something that I, I kind of grew in my ability to do it. Um, and, and I wrote for a long time before I even started attempting to publish anywhere. Um, so I almost didn't realize that there was a scene to join, uh, much less that I would be a, a, a member of that scene. Um, as far as how those two interact with each other, um, I'm not sure that they, they do. I don't know. It's, uh, I, I have a, um, I, I'm aware that, that my style of poetry is, is kind of leans a lot towards narrative and, um, you know, I, I, I still use you know, grammar and things conventionally. Um, and there's, I like to think there's a kind of an internal logic to my poetry. So I don't know if that's a, so much of a crossover as it is, I think that might just be who I am being displayed in, in two different ways, uh, vocationally and, and recreationally as a poet. Um, I do think that there's <clears throat> some overlap in the, uh, maybe the the skill set. I think they both require the same, um, same kind of perspective, I think. But to be a good investigator, I always tell people, like when I'm training employees or something, that um, there's a lot of specific things you can learn, but I think the best thing you can have as an investigator is um, kind of a dual perspective, is to be able to, to look at details, to really uh, fine-tune on things, but also to be able to kind of step back and see the big picture and how those details work together so you don't get caught in rabbit holes or... Um, just lost in the trees, so to speak. Um, and I think poetry requires the same perspective, uh, just in, in terms of craft and also in terms of content, you have to be able to focus on, on every word while at the same time figuring out how every part of that poem works together as a poem, but also, you know, more broader, how that poem kind of exists in, in the universe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I assume that you mean uh, in terms of like making the poem cohesive, you know, you, you don't want to. Um, yeah, you don't want to get lost in the weeds because yeah, you have a very directed style, you know, you, you, you know where you're going, but it's also like you don't want to ignore the details and um, you, you do have a lot of great passages uh, with with detail in, in your poetry. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. How, how do you how do you balance that out? You think um, like keeping it keeping it going, you know, just just poetic momentum. Yeah. Well, I think for me, um, I, I have a I don't know if it's if it's in maybe of like an internal uh, impatience, but I, I don't uh, I generally don't do long poetry. I don't even I even have a hard time reading long. Poetry. Uh, so. Um, I think uh, 
the challenge of being concise is helpful for me uh, as a craft. Uh, I think my poetry tends to start with something, an, an image, a emotion, a, a metaphor or whatever. And then, um, you know, I, I think before I even put pen to paper, I, I have, I kind of let it gestate a little bit and, and try to figure out like where and try to dwell on that and think about where that's going for me. And so I, I think by the time I start writing, I have most of a poem in my head and I may not, I may know where I want it to go, where I want it to start and how I'm not going to figure out how I'm going to get there. Or um, I may know where I'm going to start and I don't quite know where I'm going to end up, but at least know part of the way there. Um, so uh, I, I think just challenging myself to be concise. I think concision is also just a, a practical thing for me is because I, my writing period is a very uh, small period in the morning before my children wake up. <laughs> so um, if I, if I can't write something in one sitting uh, or at least a draft of it in one sitting, then it's probably not going to get written. Yeah. Do, do you think that that um, lends itself to kind of a long gestation period for a poem? Um, I mean, does it take like quite a while for you to to write one like period of days or do you kind of just sit down bang it out and it's like yeah this is it you know this is the final iteration well, I, i've never i've never banged out a final iteration but i have um it, it really depends like there i think there have been good days where you know i where the the period the journey from idea to poem is pretty short and and what comes out is relatively close to what i want um but there's other times too where I have, I have something in my head and it takes a few tries to get it. So I might let that simmer for days, weeks, and then take a stab at it. And, and I might not like what came out and then I might just table it and kind of come back. I, I've had, I do make a habit sometimes. So even in my writing time in the morning, I'm not always writing. Sometimes it's just thinking about writing, which I think is as important as writing sometimes. It's just to set myself space to do that. Um, and then every now and then I'll, I'll pull out my old notebooks and look for failures and, and kind of see if, if time has granted me new perspective on those poems. Um, and sometimes it does. And sometimes that's great when you look at something you wrote, that's not very good. And then you, but you like the heart of it. Um, and you can kind of see that growing into something new now that you've had a little more time to think about it or life experiences or perspective or whatever it is. Uh, so so it depends uh, ideally they'd all just be banged out um but <laughs> it doesn't always work that way unfortunately <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm right there with you um how do you make how do you make time for reading poetry then even when i was um when i was just starting out and i, I hadn't even thought about publishing or anything i did i did try to make a conscious effort to read poetry um and you know and I hadn't read poetry since I was forced to read poetry in school. Um, it had never really been a period in my life where I had read poetry by choice. Um, so I just kind of went to the library and I started picking random books off the shelf. And, and, and I still, I try to have, so I do most of my reading in the evenings. I think I try to have at least one book of poetry that I'm actively reading um, at any given time, however long it takes me to get through it. It might just be you know, a page or two a day, it might be, um, you know, try to read chunks of it. Uh, but I try to have something that I'm actively reading and I try to be diverse in what I read um, mm -hmm. just so I can, uh, it helps me as a, just craft wise to be able to look at what 
other people are doing um, with mm-hmm. even similar ideas or very different ideas. And, and uh, yeah, reading is, is very, has always been very helpful for me. And it's just um, something I've, I just kind of had to put into my reading schedule it means that some of the things that I, it, it's taken the place of other things that I might've normally read, but I've always been a pretty good reader. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, doing that. Yeah. Do, do you, th- do you think that any type of literature that you read in particular on regular is, um, c- kind of lending itself to your poetry? Uh, it, it certainly can. I, I wish I had a good formula for where inspiration comes from, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's definitely can come. Like I'm fascinated by, um, just everyday things. And, and I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I think it's telling that like, when you look at like the gospels and then, and, and the parables, like Jesus drew these parables out of, out of everyday things. And so I'm always amazed when, when something normal or, or mundane kind of speaks to me in, in an interesting way. So like just recreationally, I read a lot of, like I'm a nerd for popular science books uh, of, of every kind um like Malcolm Gladwell or, or like I'm reading a book right now called uh, Why We Sleep um stuff like that fascinates me uh <laughs> um and and my wife will endlessly make fun of me for it but uh um so sometimes just the just being amazed at at the world will will produce will produce some of that inspiration um I mean I also have a, a you know a a lot of poems that are based on on scripture. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of how my poetry started. I think, uh, it was, it was me, uh, you know, needing that creative outlet, but also kind of in a, in a place of just spiritual malaise, I guess, um, kind of trying to re-engage with, with some of these stories that, that I've been, that I've grown up with. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, for the last couple of years, I've, I've, I've been writing poetry just based on what speaks to me in scripture regardless of how it speaks to me and giving myself the the freedom to do that and so I've used that a lot over the years to kind of to to wrestle with doubts and and you know not flinching when I read something and uh and have kind of an adverse reaction to it I you know writing poetry allows me to kind of sit with that emotion and, and think like why do I feel this way and 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 what is that what does that mean for me? And, and, and be able to kind of form poems based mm-hmm. on that. Um, so yeah, definitely. Uh, it's very much like, uh, and I didn't intend for it to be this way, but I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the practice of uh, Lectio Divina. Uh, yes. <sighs> okay. So it's, it's uh, very much like that for me where it's not so much um, reading uh and I guess for people who are listening who, who don't know that practice, it's the idea of um, uh, scripture being a uh, passage of scripture being read aloud a couple of times um, with the idea that you as the listener um, kind of attach to something specific, a phrase or a word um, and, and kind of explore that. Um, so it's a little different way of, of looking at scripture. And I think that uh, writing poetry for me is kind of like that. It's just uh, it, it's stepping back from maybe a more intellectual reading of it and and kind of reading more with how I feel and and um, and how it resonates with me. Yeah, that that that's very very interesting. Um, I, I've never heard of writing poetry as a spiritual discipline. I've heard of reading it as as a spiritual discipline, but not writing it. 
Um, yeah, that, that is just so fascinating. Um, well, I think for me, um, part of my problem is I, I'm a, I'm a pretty hardcore introvert, like this stuff like this takes it all out of me pretty much. But, um, you know, I don't, um, and sometimes I think in the, um, like the, the evangelical culture, there's, there's not a lot of room for, you know, wrestling with, with doubt and things like that. So I think part of the problem with me over a period of many, many years was that, you know, anything that bothered me tend to fester inside of me. Um, and, and being able to write about it kind of, uh, creates a little bit of distance and allows, allowed me to kind of wrestle with, uh, with these hard things that, that were hard to talk about and, and be open about. Um, a little bit like, uh, like sometimes in, in therapy, they'll have you, you know, especially with kids, like they'll have kids in therapy, you know, maybe play with toys or something and, and interact, uh, use their emotions in, in, uh, in different and more creative ways. That's different than just talking about them. Um, so, uh, so yeah, for, for me, it's very much served that purpose of, um, of forcing me to, um, yeah, to deal with scripture in, in that way. Um, not just negatively, I, I'm, I've been talking negatively, but like uh, just it, as a way of, of, of growth and, and just dealing with all the different emotions that come from, from reading scripture has been, has been very, very helpful for me personally. Uh, you, you, didn't, you didn't attend an MFA program, did you? I did not, no. Yeah, so this is, this is totally self-taught and um, organic. Um, so I was an English major in school. Oh, like okay, I, did, okay. I did, I did study. I, so I have my BA in English, um, but I, I barely, I barely finished that. <laughs> you know, it was, I'm not a good, I'm not a good student. Uh, uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah, so I, I, I've never attended an MFA. Um, you know, I, I obviously read poetry in school and then, and like I said, I've made an effort to, to read poetry um, since I've started writing it, but, uh, and, and I've, and I've, I've learned a lot, but, um, I, I don't know if it's a necessarily a good or a bad thing that I don't have that, that education that, that some poets have. Um, I don't know if it lends itself to a, a different perspective. I, I've been surprised at some of the, the poets I've come across and just the different, the different backgrounds they have. Um, there's a lot of MFA graduates, but there's a lot of people who just come out of, you know, very random, places that it's just a, it's such a cool um community it's more diverse than you might think i think that it's almost assumed with mfas like that it's kind of like a degree in engineering or or mathematics or something like that um where uh to be like a qualified poet or to be a qualified writer or something you have to have this degree um, and, and it shows that you have some kind of special insight or, or something that's not necessarily true. Um, and I hope that we can kind of move away from like seeing that degree and being like, Oh, they automatically know more. Um, because oftentimes I find that MFAs actually kind of cultivate a, um, a style of writing that's pretty homogenous between the programs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we need more kind of like 
renegades, honestly, you know, more just, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, like people like you, you know, just, um, just who pop up and they love poetry, you know, they love writing poetry and they have their own unique voice. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I really do appreciate that. And I, and I, I never got my MFA either. So, um, so yeah, that, that that's uh, encouraging to me. Just two um, renegades, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, renegade PI and a renegade <laughs> philosophy student. Um, so uh, I, I do want to return back to the prior question for just one more moment um, sure. and ask, do you see yourself primarily as a poet or a PI? Um, I, I, I would say both. I don't know that I would see myself as, as one or the others. I think they're just, they're just different expressions of, of who I am. There's not a lot of, I shouldn't say there's not a lot of creativity in being a private investigator. Most of the creativity comes with more along the lines of problem solving. You know, you have a, a goal, some piece of information you need or some result you need. And then how do you, how do you get to there? Whereas, um, being a poet is, is, is much more, um, creative in a, in a very different way. And, um, and I think they both serve needs for me. Like, I'm not sure, like if, if I won the lottery today and, uh, you know, I didn't have to work anymore. Um, someone said, you can just write poetry all day. I don't, I don't know that I could do it. Like, I think that's, that's, I think I need something more to ground me. <laughs> I think it, being off in my head writing poems all day is probably not the best for me either. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, I think I would still need something else. Uh, and so I think they just I think they serve different purposes for me. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, I, I like that you that you don't just take the dichotomy and um, just just take it as a fact. Um, and I, I also think that. Um, there, there are a lot of writers out there that kind of, including me, um, we have this thing where we're like, we think that we must be vocationally a writer to, to be a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. And it probably is for the better. Um, yeah. because if we, if we were to just hold up, you know, in some, uh, some apartment all day, you know, reading and, trying to write these poems, you know, it could probably get pretty banal and it could probably um, lend itself to just not, uh, not very great poems, you know, because you're not really out there living life, you know? Right. Um, I think that Hemingway, you know, he, he led kind of by example, he, he was extremely studious and he was also just out there doing stuff. I mean, he was, uh, you know, just take taking, um, safaris and and uh just just living the life of uh an adventurer you know he had a lot he had a lot to write about so I, that, yeah. I, yeah what would you say is the purpose of writing poetry as a christian so i think i think for me um a poetry and and really any art um it gives you a chance to uh, embrace the the vastness and, and the mystery of of God. I think, um, and I, I've been very guilty of this over the years. But I think that um, I don't know in the evangelical culture we tend to 
to look at the Bible as almost like we would a constitution uh, where it's like, this is, this is what God says. And then our job is to debate its meaning and how it applies to our, our modern world. Whereas the reality is that God is always going to be so much bigger than any way he chooses to divulge himself to us. Um, and art, I think gives us a chance to step back from that kind of intellectual pursuit of, of knowing God to um, getting some teeny tiny window into what it might be like to experience God or to, to feel God uh, and, and just em- embrace that mystery a little bit. Um, so it's a, it's a very different kind of, uh, of a way of spiritually seeking, I guess, um, I think art does that for people. I think it's, I think there's a reason that most, that not, maybe not most, but a, a good chunk of, of the Bible is written in, in poetry. Um, and that when, like I said earlier, when, when Jesus came to teach, he did so with stories. Um, because I think those speak to people at a deeper level than, than just laying down rules or, or just, just straight talk. I think it's just, it's more beautiful in a way. Hmm. So did you, did you grow up uh, in a Christian environment? Uh, I did grow up in a, in a Christian home. Um, I don't know that it was a, uh, I don't want to say superficially Christian because that's, I think more insulting than it needs to be, but I, it wasn't, I, I didn't grow. I don't think I grew up spiritually engaged. I grew up in a Christian home but I didn't, I didn't feel like I really came to knew who God was until I was probably uh, an adult. I think I grew up in um, the kind of stereotypical Christian home where there's that kind of uh, merging of, of Christianity and politics in a really uh, confusing way for a young person uh, that, was, that was more cultural than it was uh, spiritual. Um, so the, the process of, of, of knowing who God is, has been a very long process for me. Uh, one that obviously still, still underway and will be underway for, um, a long time. But yeah, I, I don't think I became a real, like authentic believer until probably college, early adulthood, hmm. probably. Hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting that you went to college and uh, you you actually found a genuine faith. You know that that's like the reverse of everybody else going out there experimenting and and whatnot. Um, I think it was. I think for me it was more about. Um, and it's funny because I live in I live in a central in Central Valley in California, which you know, California is a is a very blue state, but we live in a very red enclave. Um, so even the you know the 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 scary liberal professors don't tend to not to take a residency here like they do in Berkeley or something. Um, but um, it was more, I think, just stepping out of the bubble I grew up in that that really helped me just encountering um, encountering people who I think had a more genuine uh, faith um, did a lot for me in seeing what what Jesus was like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you go to a Christian um, college? I didn't. I went to uh, uh, 
CSU Stanislaus, which is in uh, uh, Turlock, California, a little town uh, between uh, Modesto and, and Fresno. Um, they used to call it Turkey Tech because it was on the site of a former turkey farm. Um, so we're getting pretty rural here. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you published over 60 poems last summer. I mean, that is in, that is incredible. Um, so for one, um, how and <laughs> Uh, yeah, how did how did you just have the time and the and the energy and all that, and uh, just what was it like in general for you? I mean, that must have been pretty surreal. It's it was a pretty last year was a pretty crazy year. Um, it uh, I mean, I I first started submitting poetry in the end of 2019, um, as and so it was crazy because it was it was one of those things where I had been doing this very secretly for a long time. Like I didn't even tell my like people in my life aside from like my wife that I was writing poetry. And so all of a sudden you get to this point where like, maybe I should think about letting other people into this world I've created. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I fully expected nobody would publish anything. Um, and so it was, it was very, it was very exciting when I got my first acceptance and, and when others came in and just every single time, it, even today, every time it, I'm, I'm shocked, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm always surprised um, because there's a lot of people who write poetry. And there's a lot of people who write poetry very, very well. Um, so it's, it's always, it's always an honor uh, as far as how um, some of that has to do with, um, with my general, um, obsessiveness as a person probably because when I when I do something I tend to I tend to do it um and uh and, and so I just I made it a habit once I kind of got the ball rolling of just setting aside like one or two nights a week that are you know devoted to kind of exploring submission options and and sending poems so I do tend to send them in, in batches um like if I know like night my wife works and you know kids are in bed it's like well I can just goof around on Instagram or I can, I can sit down and send people my poems. And it, uh, it, uh, it, it, comes, it comes with a lot of rejection though. Like the, that number seems high of accepted poems, but it's, it's significantly dwarfed by the number of people who did not want to publish my poems. Um, so it's, uh, um, it, which is a very humbling experience and, and it develops, you develop thick skin after a, a little while, which is, which is good, which is why I encourage people to, to submit, to, to submit, you know, yeah. often. So that way you're, you get your fear of rejection out of the way very, very early. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, you must be drained at the end of the day though, just from your day job. And, you know, I mean, the parental responsibilities that you have, like, um, is it, is it very just like taxing to sit there and be like, now I've got to do this next, you know, task. You, you would think so, but it's most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's for me, it's it's like a chance to it's 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 how I choose to to spend that time, which in itself is kind of freeing. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, my day is full of, of things I have to do. You know, I have obviously work responsibilities and then um, I hate to describe my children as obligations because they're not because I love them and they're a blessing. Um, but, you know, being a parent comes with a lot of work and and. Um, so it's, it's nice at the end of the day to, um, you know, for whatever days I choose to do it, to, 
to think like this is a choice I'm making uh, related to my creative output. Um, so it doesn't feel taxing for that reason. Um, it, it might someday, maybe, um, <clears throat> because nothing lasts forever. Uh, but at, at this point, because it's a choice I'm making to do that, it feels, it feels freeing for me and it feels like, like recreation. It doesn't feel like work. Um, now there are, <clears throat> excuse me, there are some days where I have it in my mind, like I'm going to submit poems today and then I sit down and it's just, it's not, I, you know, whatever happened that day has made it to where, you know, sending my work to be judged by others is not quite what I have in mind for the evening. Um, but, uh, but for the most part, it's a, um, it, it doesn't feel like work. Hmm. We touched on earlier your, your proclivity to include narrative with your poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, speaking of that, um, I close my eyes and almost remember your debut chapbook um, that follows the narrative structure of the Bible, which mm-hmm. is fascinating. And especially because you condense it all down into 30 pages, that's a feat. Um, but just, you know, tell me about your, your proclivity for narrative in general. Um, are you kind of given to fiction writing too? Uh, do you think that more poets need to write narrative poetry? Uh, is narrative poetry a lost art? Um, yeah, just what are your thoughts? Um, that's, that's a lot of good questions there. Um, I think I, I did originally start as a fiction writer. That was what I wanted to, to do. Um, but I learned, I learned very young that I don't have, um, the patience or longevity to write long form fiction. Um, I have two novels that will never be completed. Uh, and both of them I wrote, uh, I wrote during a competition called the international three day novel contest, which is, uh, based in Canada and every, every Labor Day weekend, they challenge people to write the best novel they can in three days. And then they publish the winner. And um, if, if it weren't for that, like forcing me to sit down and write for three days, I would never have written anywhere close to any of them. And even once they were done, I, I, I've never had the patience to like polish them. Um, so I, I think I do have like that. That's where I, I got my start as a writer. And I guess I don't intend like maybe uh, intent like uh, consciously to put narrative in my poetry. I think that just might lend itself more to how I, I think and process like writing a poem feels like a, a, a story for me. Like it feels like an idea that I'm slowly tracking with as it works itself into a poem. So I don't know if, if that process lends itself more to um, to narrative in poetry, but it just seems to be the way that, that my, that my brain works. Um, I, I have, you know, I have, I have not everything I write is narrative and, and I have tried to experiment with more um, obscure you know, image based or abstract. And, and it's just not, I'm never as happy with it as I am when I'm, I'm telling a story. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of, of good poets still writing kind of narrative poems or, or poems that have a narrative uh, element to them. Uh, so I don't definitely don't think it's a lost art. I think, uh, you know, as you were saying earlier, I don't think it's the kind of poetry that lends itself to that, that kind of MFA poet. Um, I, like I think if I had gotten an MFA, maybe they would have beaten that out of me or, or maybe not. Um, 
but uh, so I don't think it's as common as it used to be, uh, <clears throat> but there's still a, a lot of really good poems being written with a narrative element. And uh, in particular, like I am really fascinated by prose poems, um, which tend to really embrace that, um, that kind of narrative element. Um, I have written some over the years and I, um, <clears throat> I imagine it's something I might experiment more with because I'm just fascinated by them. Um, some of my favorite ones really, uh, really thread the line between prose poetry and, and flash fiction, just come right up to it without crossing it. Um, and I think those are some of the most fascinating to me. Um, one of my favorite poetry books I've read in the last couple of years is um, by a poet named Stephen Mitchell, who I think is Jewish, um, but it's called Parables and Portraits. And it's a, a series of uh, mostly prose poems, not all prose, but mostly prose that, um, that kind of deal with stories from the Bible, but also like folk tales and, and Greek mythology and things like that. But um, in, in particular, he like, he takes uh, the parables and often writes prose poems about the parables that are in of themselves like meta parables about the parables. It's very like just a fascinating kind of way to approach poetry. Um, and so that, that definitely is one place where I think narrative has really kind of sunk its teeth into it. Um, uh, one of my other favorites is, uh, Jose Hernandez Diaz. Have you ever read any of his, um, poetry? He writes these prose poems that are, uh, that they read like fables. Like they're very short. They have very short sentences. It's very clear language. And I don't understand most of them, but I'm just completely fascinated by them. And they just seem to be about like regular, you know, regular people, but they, they read like Aesop's fables. They're just fascinating. So along with your narrative proclivity um, and writing about scripture, how do you enter the perspective of the biblical characters that you write about and who often really narrate your poems? Yeah, um, that that's an interesting process for me. And I talked earlier about kind of the, the kind of Lectio Divina-ish approach to, to writing poetry. And, um, and that comes a lot out of um, reading scripture. And so sometimes I'll attach, you know, what sticks out to me as an image or a metaphor. And, and when I dwell on that, it has a poem that is, is very different, but sometimes it's a, it's a character um, that I really relate to um, whether it's a, a mistake or a choice that they make, or um, I, I kind of, I can relate to an emotion. And so I think a lot of times when I take the viewpoint of a biblical character in a poem, it's, it's because I feel some sort of connection with what's happening in that moment, some sort of kinship with that character. Um, and then, and then as I, as I build the poem, sometimes there's a real mingling of me with them, um, which, which is why some of the poems, uh, you know, some of them don't, are, are sometimes retellings or reimaginations of, of some of the stories. So one of the, the poems that I'll read later that was in Solemn uh, Journal was um, Peter Goes Fishing on the uh, Sea of Tiberias, which um, is, uh, is kind of a surreal look at that uh, part of, of Peter's life. But for me, it was, it was just the, uh, the, the hook for me was, was, um, I was reading uh, obviously the, the story of crucifixion and, and the you know, resurrection. And um, just, I think I, at that moment identified with, with Peter's um, sense of guilt 
um, and, and shame that he might experience after um, essentially betraying Jesus. Um, and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Jesus appears several times and once on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias when Peter's fishing. And, and I just, for me, I, I was imagining kind of what that would, what that would be like for him in that first instance where um, you betray, you, you betrayed Jesus and all of a sudden he's back, he's risen and he's there on the shore. And I, I can imagine for a moment thinking, um, you know, looking and seeing him and thinking the ax is at the root of the tree. This is, you know, this is, this is the moment where I get what I deserve here. And obviously that's not what happens in the story. Um, but that's, it, it was kind of the, my kinship with that feeling that that kind of led to the creation of that poem. So um, it's very much like that. It's very much an identification of, of a kind of a, a period where our narratives meet and then just kind of taking it from there. Mm. I love that poem so much. Um, it's, uh, it's very hard to fictionalize or use uh, characters from the Bible without being um, corny, honestly. Uh, And I mean, you've you've got to earn it. Um, And with that last line, uh, he, Peter, closes his eyes, feels the steel at his neck, determined for once to be faithful to something. Uh, that, That was honestly the reason that I chose to publish the poem. Um, it was because it was just it was such a hard hitting line, um, and, and, and it just earned it, it earned the entire thing. So yeah, yeah, that, that's that's great. Um, and, and along with um, uh, poetry as a spiritual discipline, um, do you see poetry as a form of ministry too? And would you say the same thing about um, about your career as a PI? That's interesting. Um, I think I think the answer is supposed to be yes, because that that's kind of what they teach us growing up, right? Is that like you're, you're not everybody gets to go to Africa, but you can you can your ministry is is where you are. Um, but if I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know that that's like the the perspective that I have necessarily. I um, I. I just, for me, the idea of, of ministry, maybe this is baggage attached to a word, but, um, you know, mixed with ministry has to be agenda, I feel like. Um, and that's, that's not something I attach to either my, my work or, or my poetry. Um, my poetry was, was, was primarily for myself. It still is really, it, it's primarily for myself. And then it's, you know, it, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm sharing it now. And so if, if, you know, if I'm at a place where anybody is reading my poetry and, and, you know, affected by it, um, I guess you can say that it is a ministry, but I'm not sure it has anything to do with me, (laughs) you know, like, and I think that's, that's very biblical, right? The idea that it's, it's the Holy Spirit who, who does the work and, and, and we are the, the vessels for it. So I think it's possible for me to, to minister in, in both vocation and, and, within the arts, but, um, but I don't know that that's, that's my intention mm. or that I see myself in, in ministry, which again is probably not the right answer, but 
<laughs> I think that you've you pointed out something um, quite profound. Um, I, th- I think that the things that we do um, should be motivated by uh, obviously being a proper witness for God. But if we front load that and make that like everything is subordinate to that purpose, it might not work itself out as well if as if we were just like you said doing it for yourself um and i think that it becomes um a form of ministry when we really love what we're doing and um and just really i think that god redeems that um and and uses it you know for his for his glory and for his um for his purposes uh so yeah we, we i don't i don't think that we necessarily need to worry so much about uh, this being an outright form of ministry um, because God will make it a form of ministry. In closing, what kind of practical advice would you give to aspiring writers? Um, How do you find places to submit? You know, how do you know that certain editors will be interested in your work? Like, you know, do you use Submittable, Duotrope, you know, uh, Pillars and Writers, all this. So, Yeah, I think um, I do a, a Duotrope is the is the lifeblood. I think it's just such a it's such a resource. And and if you're listening, you write poetry uh, or any kind of, of writing. You know, Duotrope is a handy site that uh, it's five dollars a month, and it it tracks submissions. It lets you keep track of your submissions, but it also has ways, so many different ways to find places to publish. Um, so it's definitely the number one resource I recommend because it just allows you to search so many different ways and to to view, you know, journal response times and acceptance rates. And, um, you know, there's always just good little features on there. Like if I, you know, submitted to, to Solom, it might tell me, okay, then, you know, other people who had work accepted here also had work accepted at these places, which kind of gives you a chance to to launch off there. And, And, um, so that's definitely a good resource. Um, I, I also think um, just, uh, I, I found some good, you know, su- potential sub- submission or su- potential submission places, you know, just from from reading uh, poets and, and then seeing where those people are published. So if I, if I read a book and, and I enjoy it, you know, the, the acknowledgements are usually in the book where it tells you where these poems were previously published and you can get an idea for if you have someone whose style you think resonates with yours um, where those people were published and then kind of seek those markets out um, <clears throat> yourself I think um, just practical advice I think is um, I, I say submit widely there's no reason uh, not to pretty much every place is okay with simultaneous submissions and and you just you just never know um, I've I've sent work to, to places with, with high acceptance rates that I thought was a shoe in and it was rejected. And I've sent pipe dream poems to places that ended up taking them. And I'm, I'm just, you, you just never know where your work is going to resonate and, and not to take rejections personally, because there are so many people writing poetry and there's only so many places to publish them. And, you know, editors will tell you all the time that they reject work they like. Uh, because they can only print, they can't publish everything they like. <laughs> they just don't have enough space for it. Uh, and I'm sure you experience that yourself. I mean, you have a pretty big, your first issue was pretty big, but even then it's still, it's still limiting and you have to turn away work you like all the time, I'm sure. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I as an editor too, I, I should make it very clear that um, like we, you know, we're also publishers, and in that we have to um, we have to a lot for how much money it's going to cost to print so many number of pages, um, and a lot of this is just out of pocket. Um, so it, just you know, developing that thick skin for rejection, um, and, and just is is definitely the the best thing you could do because the rejection is, is not a, you know, it's not a necessarily a reflection on your work. It, it, it's just a reflection on the, you know, the realities of, of the business. Um, you know, the, the classic advice is to, to read a journal um, before you submit to it to get an idea <clears throat> for their aesthetic. And I don't think you have to read very much of a journal to get an idea for um, what kind of work uh, they're looking for. Um, mm-hmm. But even then you don't want to, you know, I don't think you want to send in work exactly like what they published because I think I think editors editors are just as fickle as everybody else. It's like you know they they like what they like, but sometimes they don't know what they like <laughs> until you present it to them. Um, so you just you just never know. Um, I, I did um, I can't remember who it was, but I did see a, a poet that I respect on on Twitter basically say you should just submit poems you like to ev- to whatever place regardless of whether you've read the, you know, whether what they've published before, because you should just send your, your best work and, and just trust that it'll end up in the right place. And that's a, um, not a bad way of, of looking at it either. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I've, I've been surprised. Sometimes I've been really surprised at, at the poems that, that certain journals have picked. Um, Cause I'll have, you know, when I, when I put my submission packets together, five poems or whatever, um, you know, I'll, I'll tear them, you know, I'll think like, okay, I'll, I think the one they're most likely to take, I'll put that first and then kind of structure from there. And, and I'm wrong so often, like the one that I think is a, is the best fit. And they just picked something that I added in to make it five poems. You just never, you never know. With, with Solemn, um, I, I have kind of a love for um, inaugural issues because I can just, I can do whatever I want in my submission. Like I have no idea when I submitted to you, I have no idea what kind of work you like because you never published anything before. So it's a very freeing thing for me to just be able to like, let's just put seven, I think it's seven is, is what your, your packet was at that time. Uh, you know, put seven very different poems together and just send them off. And, and, uh, and I've been surprised at how many times that's been successful without like, without the stress of trying to, you know, uh, play matchmaker. How do you find those inaugural issues? Um, um, so sometimes you'll find them on, on like on places like Duotrope. Like you can sign up for um, a weekly, they have like a weekly newsletter thing they send out that basically tells you every place that opened for submissions. Mm-hmm. Um, I find out about them on Twitter. Like I've, Twitter's a, Twitter's a terrible place to spend your time. But if you're looking for engagement with other poets and um and literary journals, Twitter is a is a good place to do that. I think I actually found you guys on um, on Submittable uh, because you know for someone who writes a lot of faith based poetry, um, my market is a little slimmer sometimes. So I, I do try to make a habit of of looking you know in certain categories on on Duotrope and, and Submittable and um, found uh, found Solem just by chance um, and then just decided to submit there. So I guess uh, to wrap up, um, I would love it if you would read uh, for us just uh, some of your poems. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I have four I'm going to read to close this off. Um, 
I'm going to start with uh, two that were in Solem's inaugural issue, which is still for sale. Yes, which you can still go buy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a little promo plug there. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to start. I'll read uh, Peter Goes Fishing on the Sea of Tiberius, which we talked about earlier. The fishing is hard with the constant lapping of rooster crows at the boat, the trawler weighed down with dredged feathers. Peter watches the shoreline, thinks about how the rocks are just sand not yet subjected to the eroding forces of the soul, about how the land is just a vacuum not yet filled by water. On the beach, there is a fire burning with smoke signals rising in pillars, a man crouched beside it, the morning sun reflecting off the sword at his side. Peter knows the man, has always known the man, as if the moth could ever forget the roar of the flame. He steps over the side, places the weight of his feet on the water, and walks to shore, buoyant, weightless. The sword unsheaths and summons by name. He closes his eyes, feels the steel at his neck, determined for once to be faithful to something. Wonderful. All right, and then the second one I'll read is also from Solom. Uh, it's called, I'm not sure I have ever prayed. But I have spent hours of every day meditating in the shadows of prayers unsaid, in the petitions and praises that hover, that hover untethered in my mind like leaves in the wind. I've felt their ghosts breathing on my neck, their whispers sending shivers down the arm. I've seen their pale skin discarded in coils on the floor. The body slithered away. I've seen them melt in the heat of darkness into puddles and lapped at them with my tongue like a dog, desperate for thirst. Great. All right. Uh, my third one I'm going to read is um, called An Evening Walk in the End of Days. And my mouse died, so I'll be doing this this way. Um, this was published um, a few months ago in a journal called Earth and Altar, which I highly recommend. They just published some really, really interesting poems. Um, <clears throat> so this is Evening Walk in the End of Days. The highlight is the fireworks show of falling stars, the way they flare up and then drop in multitudes like cosmic rain, as if the darkness will never come. When the moon rises, it's a long walk down a trail bathed in the warm neon glow of a crimson halo, the woods gently lit as if by the heat of a campfire. Aromas of burnt wood hover, yet trees still stand in clusters, branches stretched in scribbled shadows across the path, Psalms whispered in the rustling of leaves in the gale. Even the bodies scattered in the dirt seem arranged as an audience. Eyes awe-opened like blooming flowers. Palms cupped as porcelain vessels, waiting in anticipation. And why not? Isn't every evening a gift to be savored, even the ones made darker by ash? And doesn't beauty still sparkle like starlight, even when smashed into pieces? All right, the last one, this is a Solemn Podcast exclusive. Um, this is uh, called The Gardener. And this is actually the, um, the closing poem to uh, my forthcoming chapbook. I close my eyes and I almost remember. The Gardener. Everything now washed and cleaned, the hands scrubbed of grime and napkins neatly folded in the lap. The man dines with his children at a table overflowing with platters of roasted birds, mashed potatoes with rich gravy and spiced lamb. Baskets of bread, 
endless wine, conversation that meanders like a walk in the forest. And he is happy, happier than he has been in a long time to see this heaping table, this house of laughter, this assembly of prodigal children returned. Yet as the meal goes on, each empty plate replaced with a full one, he finds himself looking out the window and into the void erased of light, that cold black emptiness abandoned and imagining that it looks a lot like dirt, the kind he used to scoop into his weathered fingers and let fall like rain. And with a smile, he thinks to himself, I should plant myself a garden. Yeah, that's, yeah, that'll make you tear up. Um, yeah, that that's uh, the end of Revelation, right? Mm-hmm. Inspired that, yeah written more poems than most people should about the book of revelation <laughs> i tend to spend the most play time in places that challenge me so it's like genesis and revelation are like 50 percent of my my bible poems <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean that's those are those are the two most challenging books you know um yeah well again thank you for for coming on today matt um yeah, thanks and- for having me i appreciate it yeah, and I, I, I really am happy that uh, you'll be joining Solom, um, and uh, and yeah, you know I, I'm sure that you're gonna be you're gonna be great. Um, so thank you everyone for listening, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. <laughs>